Welcome to Know Thy Trauma, a podcast by Wellspring Solutions Counseling Services. We are a group of therapists located in a small town in eastern Pennsylvania dedicated to helping people heal the loss and trauma that is part of the human experience. The content in today's episode can be potentially triggering, so please use discretion as you listen. If you find yourself triggered, we encourage you to pause it, engage in something that soothes you, and return when you're ready. And as always, we encourage you to seek out your own therapy if needed. Hi, I'm Sharon Wegman. I'm Kayla Cedar. I'm Kate Byler. And together we are Know Thy Trauma. And today we're going to be talking about how we need to understand our parents' trauma. So we have labeled this one, Know Thy Parents' Trauma. <laughs> um, and so let's just talk about, here, let's chat amongst ourselves. Sure. Why do we need to understand our parents' trauma? That's a hefty question. <laughs> do you want to go? Sure, first? sure. I'll yeah. go first. Um, I feel like knowing our parents' trauma, what it does, it sets us up for understanding ourselves better I think Mm -hmm. and we I think it's really easy to disconnect I'm not like my mom or I'm not like my dad and then when we make that disconnect we don't really go further into ourselves so making that connection of the ways our parents trauma has affected us affected us or not I don't know just plays into how we get to know ourselves and why we do the things we do absolutely yeah I was thinking the same thing Kate where it's you know, our parents are, you know, with some exceptions, are the ones who are our primary caregivers as our child in our childhood. So understanding, okay, why did my parents do some of the things that they did? And why did they behave in the way that they did? Why did they respond to me? It very well may be rooted in their own trauma. And it, their actions towards us may have been our own trauma. So understanding, again, mm-hmm. making that connection and understanding that shared experience of, okay, your trauma is now my trauma. And I know we're going to get into some generational things, but that's really where a lot of the power comes from breaking generational trauma is understanding just how it came through the bloodline. Absolutely. And we don't realize until we're doing a really good history of people we don't really understand, and they don't understand, the trauma that their parents has have passed down to them. Right. And it's like they'll have these aha moments of suddenly understanding themselves more because they understand more how their parents parented and how their grandparents parented mm-hmm. and all of those types of things. So we want to put out an adoption disclaimer right mm-hmm. now, like, We want you to understand if you were adopted and this is going to be triggering, feel free to turn this off at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Because we understand how often when you have been adopted, you feel a little like your hands are tied behind your back Mm -hmm. in understanding what is happening Mm -hmm. in your life or where this comes from. Um, so, Kate, why don't you explain the science sure. of the process first? Sure. So I'm going to, ex- yeah, ex- what Sharon said, explain the science or DNA stuff that goes in with this. And just to kind of back that adoption disclaimer, if you if you are adopted and you're choosing to keep listening to this, I think it's important to know that even though maybe you don't know anything about your biological parents in any way, shape, or form, 
but you still have trauma passed down from your adoptive parents, whether that be ways you, you know, think or do things. It doesn't always have to be physiological. So I just wanted to put that out there, too. There's both sides, but the side I'm about to talk about is most helpful when you know your biological parents um history of mental health or diagnoses or things like that so that's just kind of the difference if you're wondering um so when it comes to the science of that stuff so i am currently you know engaged in a a sort of therapeutic group it revolves around mental health and one of the things that is like striking me every time is it talks about how when women are born, females are born, we are born with all of the eggs we'll ever have in our entire life, even as a baby, even when we're inside of our parents growing. And so that means like parts of your DNA have been like have been with your mom this in her entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. And even further than that, parts of you are were essentially in your grandmother. Yeah. And so that's just so that just blows my mind. I don't know how you guys feel when I say that. It's so, just crazy. Like, if I'm understanding you correctly, like while say for example, my grandmother was pregnant with my mother and my mother's eggs were being produced Mm -hmm. in utero whatever my grandmother was experiencing could have been inlaid in my mother's dna which was then inlaid in my dna exactly because i was one of those eggs in exactly thank you for (laughs) yeah i mean breaking that down it's it's wild it's (laughs) wild yeah absolutely and so um so there's that right like we could we could probably leave that there and just you know make I think this study is still so new, and this study falls under what is called epigenetics. So if you're curious, like if this really catches your interest, there's a lot of scientific articles right now on epigenetics, but it's very, very, very new. I would say within the last 10 to 15 years that they didn't did bulk of the study on it. So it's, it's really evolving. And so epigenetics it means like we're, we're assuming or insinuating that certain things that you know grandma had mental health wise or even trauma that they've experienced impacts each dna strand and is passed on to the next generation of some form and so in some of my training what i learned is an example of this can look like let's say depression or anxiety you know runs in your family line so that means we're probably born with some DNA thread, meaning we are more prone to having anxiety or depression. But what I've learned, at least in my schooling and some of the reading and training I've been doing, and maybe I can find, um, maybe I can reference some books at the end of this to help or something like that. Um, Put it in the links. Yeah. And uh, so if we have that DNA thread there of depression, anxiety, what happens is it really doesn't choose to expose itself until we've been experienced a certain situation or traumatic circumstance, um, which I would say is pretty hard to avoid on this planet Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but you might go fairly seemingly long time if you feel like you've had a very more stress-free upbringing maybe nothing hugely transitional has happened in your life until maybe you hit you know a young adult maybe all of a sudden that dna thread becomes exposed because maybe you know college was hard it it can be something as simple as that so again it's all how our body is experiencing the moment so 
this is just interesting because sometimes people will come to me and be like, oh, well, I've never, I never struggled with anxiety before. And I'd be like, oh, well, this, you know, mom or dad. And they're like, yeah, mom does, but she doesn't really talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting because it's like something, you know, and then we're usually focusing on the event that happened that exposed that DNA thread there. Yeah, no, it's just powerful when we talk about breaking generational patterns or for religious people they call it generational curses when we talk Mm -hmm. about that we're really taking back our dna Mm -hmm. we're really reconstructing the brain doing what we need to do to so that it doesn't get passed down to yet another generation right and so it's it's really interesting. I mean, again, this research is really, really new um, in the realm of what's been researched around mental health. This is really new information. Um, again, it's under the name epigenetics, and it goes as far as, like, if your mom, we kind of touched on this last week, if mom experienced trauma of some sort while baby was in utero, um, mm-hmm. sometimes the child comes out maybe being more prone to depression and all that stuff is so scientific. I don't want to put wrong words to names, but they're all figuring mm-hmm. out what are the chemicals happening within the pregnancy that is, you know, resulting in this. And so sometimes finding this stuff out can actually, we always say that having knowledge is very powerful because then we know what to do with it, yeah, right? right? We're not just like, oh, I'm anxious and I don't know why, or oh, I'm so depressed and I don't know why. So. Yeah. That's I think that's a lot of the reasons why we're doing this stuff to give you guys knowledge and to talk about it. I'm even thinking too, like what we touched on last week with just how much shame can come with trauma and depending on what type of generational trauma we have inherited, there can be a ton of shame in that. Um, mm-hmm. If it is mental health or if it's addiction or sexual trauma or types of abuse, like you said, Kate, the more we know, the more we're able to do something about it. And these things are 100% redeemable. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we can heal from this. It may look a little bit differently for everybody. But another reason why I think we're doing this is to talk about, you know, what information do I need to have so that I know how to heal from these things. Yeah, and I don't think you know that mm-hmm. until you come to therapy yes. and we start dismantling you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, but but basically we're just taking it back down to the foundation of understanding your physical foundation, your emotional foundation, even your spiritual foundation, so that we understand this is how this structure got built, and then this is how we can rebuild it. Mm-hmm. So bringing it back down is so important. I think. I think probably Kayla, you know, you're pregnant right now. I think all of us when we were <laughs> pregnant, you um, it's obvious. <laughs> but the point of it being is we are all we were all very aware of how our feelings mm. and how the people around mm-hmm. us were impacting baby in utero because we understand so much about trauma. Mm-hmm. And I don't think everybody does. Mm-mm. And so, yeah, sorry if that cat is out of the bag. It was out last time. <laughs> it's a little unavoidable. 
<laughs> right. So let's talk about intergenerational trauma because this is a big thing that happens. It gets passed down and it can be passed down lots of different ways, um, whether it's your culture, mm-hmm. whether it's the trauma that your parents have experienced, or even the things that were just modeled by the culture that mm-hmm. you were raised in. Let's talk about different heritages and how that impacts different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know when we were exploring this, we looked up different people's experiences, like the Holocaust. How did that impact the epigenetics? Mm-hmm. How did that impact um, the survivors at, who went on to have families and have children and things like that? Do you guys want to talk about some other cultures that we discussed? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking of... I've. Uh, a lot of people in the Jewish culture, you know, who have gone through the Holocaust, while they while they themselves in today's generation did not go through it, their parents had grandparents that went through it. And there was a lot of fear that was passed down, mm-hmm. a lot of mistrust that was passed down. And we have great compassion on that culture, but that's a transition, that's a how intergenerational trauma mm-hmm gets passed obviously horrendous things happened and genetically and how it's modeled and all of that takes place in the grandparenting and the parenting and now it's back to you Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's so interesting what like we think is a long time ago Mm. of suffering how it still lingers in the communities that have happened and I mean just even like the people of color or black population, the amount of intergenerational trauma they've had to overcome and are still overcoming. And, you know, I think it creates empathy for self and for others when it's like, if you choose to put yourself in someone else's shoes and the history of suffering their ancestors have gone under, like, why would you trust people easily, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's another form of intergenerational trauma to me is like feeling distrust of people and, um, you know, having to be protective and if things have been taken from you, you know, and it's still happening today to some degree. And so it's like with even with the in indigenous population, like we're on their land right now, essentially. Absolutely. So it's like how, you know, this this feeling just carries such weight. And I think I don't I don't want to get too um, spiritual, but it's also an, it's a spiritual thing that, you know, you, you feel it when you interact with it and. I think it makes it all the more challenging, too, because when we think about how trauma impacts our ability to survive, I mean, for a lot of people, even here Mm -hmm. today, like, the African-American community, black community, people of color, like, they're still fighting for their lives. Mm -hmm. Like, it is not uncommon to hear of mother losing their sons and Mm -hmm. the amount of loss and death and tragedy and trauma that certain people experience is just how do you how do you honor that intergenerational Mm -hmm. trauma while honoring the fact that you yourself are experiencing similar traumas to that of the people that had Mm -hmm. come before you it Mm -hmm. makes it very complex and it makes it very challenging right and I don't know that um, social media or media in general refers to the what the, their losses of the past as trauma that's been passed mm-hmm. down and trauma that continues. Yeah, sure. I don't feel like that is expressed in the media. 
And so one of the reasons that we're even talking about this is I, I think it's just educating even people who have not had these experiences. Mm-hmm. That trauma is passed down genetically and mm-hmm. we need to grasp that and understand how we empower our brothers and sisters. Yeah. How do we empower them? Yeah. Um, I was telling them a story of how, what it was like for me to move, well, we're gonna talk about expressive culture versus non-expressive culture. I was telling them a story of when I was a child, I was raised in the Philadelphia area. My neighbors, my school was very multicultural. I had Italians on one side, I had Jewish people on the other side. I was used to interacting with a very uh, multicultured environment. And then when I was in elementary school, I moved to Berks County and uh, it was basically white in my school. <laughs> And how people interacted was very different. Mm -hmm. So we can have cultural experiences Mm -hmm. that can create a lot of confusion and loss and trauma when we move from one culture to another or transitioning to different cultures of different schools, different cultures of different styles of churches, Mm -hmm. there's different styles of workplaces. All of those things can create losses. I know you were talking about... Your, the cultural differences that you experienced, can you share? Sure, yeah. I mean, where I went to different schools for elementary school and then to middle school and then to high school. So I was born and raised in Pottstown, which is more urban, mm-hmm. um, very diverse. Then from middle school, went to a charter school over in Phoenixville, which was still quite diverse. And then I ended up in 10th grade at Twin Valley. And I don't know if anybody is familiar (laughs) with Twin Valley, but that area is very homogeneous. Like it is, it is not diverse at Mm -hmm. all. And I was just, it it was a complete culture shock. It's like, why is there so many white people like what is happening Mm -hmm. um and it just felt so strange because not only did it look so much different it felt different so I went from you know various different types of interests to now everybody's like driving their tractors to school and like (laughs) hunting and like it was don't you get a day off of school for hunting (laughs) I think so like it it was just so confusing um and there was a lot of, like you were saying, Sharon, loss there. And I just kind of want to dig into that a little bit to, you know, say, I think maybe some of our listeners might think, well, how could that be trauma? And I really want to highlight the, when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about loss. Mm-hmm. And just how much loss is there. The loss of the community that you experience, Sharon. The loss of feeling comfortable in your own skin and and looking at to to people that you were able to relate to before and feeling really left out all of that is to be grieved and Mm -hmm. and things that are lost and can feel very traumatic and i think if we we know somebody who um has moved to a lot of schools or a lot of locations we're identifying that as trauma Mm -hmm. and most people wouldn't address that as trauma but we're having huge cultural shifts in the community that we're in, and it's it's a lot. And so we just always are talking about that, and most people don't realize we would label that as trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it reminded me, too, of maybe 
you have a certain heritage um, of like Asian descent or, you know, fill in the blank, but you're in America. I just, I, I always just like think like what a pool you might have this internal struggle feeling of like, you know, oh, my family is very closed off or private or oh, my family is very open and loud. It's like, I'm not mad. I'm just blunt. I'm like, this is how we talk. Like even within your family, you have a culture. Mm. And so I think it's just interesting to take a step back and be like, to me, like I always like to look at culture as like what in the culture I'm in, are we doing right and where can we do better? What's healthy versus unhealthy? And mm-hmm. I think intergenerational trauma is helpful to look at it through that lens. Is like, because nothing's all bad, but usually nothing is all good either. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's, um, it's funny to have such a shift and like even, I don't know, this is so random. I'm sure people can relate to this, but even weather. Like if you move from a very like mm-hmm. tropical climate to here, like that's so yes. traumatic. It is. <laughs> I would hate that. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, it's like don't belittle anything, I guess. Right. It made it's it's trauma is little losses and big losses. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we do a really good history, we're looking at little losses and big losses. So we're trying to figure out, did this, you know, did your mom and dad struggle in school? And then mm-hmm. how did that mm-hmm. impact how they were able to empower right. you? Mm-hmm. We're looking at so many different things that were the feeds into how they parented you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of something. <laughs> so we want to talk about our parents' uh, own mental health and how they handled mental health. Ooh, sorry. That's a deuce. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, you know, what was it? What was modeled to you? How it was handled? How it was covered up? Mm -hmm. All of those things are things you learn and or experience losses from. I think that goes a lot back to what you were saying, Kate and Sharon, about expressive versus non-expressive cultures. Like, what what is our culture's approach on um, mental health? Do we name depression as depression? Do we call it something else? Do we deny that it even exists? What do we call anxious um, or anxiety? I've talked to individuals whose, when you name it for what it is, everyone has been anxious in the family, but they referred to it as something else that was focused more on the positive qualities that anxiety can bring for survival, for Mm. being aware, being attentive, avoiding certain pains and sufferings, being just overprotective. So some things that could cause a lot of pain and strife and confusion to a child who's like, why can't I do this? And why aren't I allowed to do this? Just gets passed through. Right. So you, you were saying something that kind of made me think like when how it would be relabeled in our community would be, I'm just, I'm just have a lot of energy. Mm. How it might be relabeled. I can't, I just can't stop working. I just Mm. love working. Um, How it could be relabeled Mm. is um, I just have difficulty focusing. Mm. Do Mm -hmm. not say you may have ADD. Do not hear me saying that, but, but the anxiety can be relabeled. I just have trouble sleeping. Yeah, yeah right. all of it can be relabeled into different forms, and we need to grab a hold of that. Sometimes our cu- our family culture mm-hmm. has relabeled it in that way. Even just like the individual family culture, like I'm thinking about like children of narcissistic parents. Like, oh, that's just how they are. 
That's just how mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. They're, they're abusive. That's just how they are. Right. Well, that made me think of, like, maybe a way to help listeners or people listening to this figure out what some of these things are. Is like, going back and asking yourself, what are, like, phrases you heard a lot mm-hmm. growing up? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, just keep it between the family or don't tell anyone or... Mm-hmm that's that doesn't matter you know like simple phrases that like you might hear on a on the day-to-day but is actually minimizing what you're feeling Mm -hmm. and so it just is like maybe go back and ask yourself like what are phrases I heard mom and dad say a lot whether it be to me or like to themselves or to each other um or or whatever or whoever was your caregiver at that time of just was it helpful or was it was it minimizing you know and I think your parents probably would say it was helpful. Yeah. It's okay. Just stick it up. You can, you can do this. Right. You can do this. Mm-hmm. Suck it you. up. You turned out fine. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Again, the minimization of, you know, okay, uh-huh. we're functioning in some areas, but emotionally we may be experiencing quite a bit of turmoil. Right. Why? Right. Exactly. Right. Um, and so... Parents who don't understand their mental health translate that down to children who don't understand their mental health. Mm-hmm. And parents who do, are not emotionally intelligent easily can invalidate mental health that's being expressed. So what about addiction? That's a big one. That's yeah. a big feed into how you experience loss in your home. Yeah, I mean, I think to clarify too, addiction can be lots of things. Okay. So when you hear addiction, most of what comes to mind is drinking or drugs, but it can also look like pornography, video games, food, food, binging, working, yeah, all these things, TV, you know, Mm -hmm. even like... This sounds silly, but I I know and worked with people like reading fantasy novels, like mm-hmm. reading lots of fiction books, like all these things are a way we escape. Yeah. And so what did that look like in your home and how was it handled? Was it addressed? Was it confronted? If not, how do we know it's a problem growing up? And if it wasn't addressed, we might have maybe, maybe the, if there was drugs and alcohol and the person's demeanor shifts radically. Mm-hmm. There would be significant losses when that type of addiction is present, where food may or may not do that. Alcohol, drugs would definitely create a lot of loss and anxiety because we just never know what's going to happen. Very volatile. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think chemically, like, just as a statistic, oh, man, I want to say it's either four times or six times. I don't know which one is... That's right. Actually it's correct. A good range. Yeah, something like that. If you have a parent, I will say when it's more of the chemically addicted things like drug or alcohol, as a child, and this goes along with intergenerational trauma, you are, I think, about around six times more likely to also be addicted. Um, did you have another stat with that, Kayla? I think last week you said something. Oh, I think it's like if you were first experimentation with drugs before the age of 13, mm-hmm. you're X mm-hmm. amount of percent more likely to develop long-term addiction into adulthood. Right. So that's definitely in our DNA to a point. Yes. And um, then do you want to talk about some environmental impacts of how the trauma of the environment could lead to? Yeah. I mean, I think the environment gives us reasons to numb we become addicted to things and I mean if you're a child in this scenario you're watching 
your parents handle things in this way, right? So maybe we don't grow up and become addicted to alcohol, but maybe we grow up and just learn to numb other ways. And don't shame yourself with that. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all have to figure out wh- where we numb and yeah. and why and how. And and so this is all, hopefully, again, to just give you clarity on making connecting mm-hmm. points. Right. And when we think about, you know, I, I often think about that with, with, like, parents who party in the presence of their kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. They make it so accessible to their children that I'm like, I know exactly what kind of child their child's going to be when I see the level of partying that happens in front of him. It becomes their norm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It becomes their norm. Let's just kind of talk about other traumatic events that could have happened to our parents mm. that could impact how they parented us and or how we genetically received their DNA. Mm. Um, poverty. Yeah, yes. for sure. I That was one thing that came to my mind because when we're talking about our listeners, when we go back maybe one, two generations, we're talking about mm. Great Depression. Yes. Um, some significant, uh, you know, World War One, World mm-hmm. War Two. That's very recent to our True. DNA. For sure. Yeah, I think even it doesn't have to be all bad. It can just maybe your parent just had a really bad loss. Of a parent or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. even a spouse or another parent. Like, it's, all these things don't have to be unhealthy from our parents. It can be a very normal life occurrence Mm -hmm. um, that really affects how they parent and are able to be available to us. And so maybe it's not always in our DNA, but, again, that's how then we're able to either process or not process our own emotions or or know who to go to. Mm -hmm. And we carry that into adulthood. If we don't catch it, then we pass that on to our kid as yeah. well. Yeah, just so many, so many things that can happen to our parents, to our grandparents, not that far back, mm-hmm. that do impact how they parent us. Even some of the things that we talked about last week with helping our listeners name their own trauma. Did mm-hmm. our parents have a parent with addiction? Mm-hmm. Were they having a sibling with special needs what was their relationship like with their parents were they raised by their parents i know during the great depression it wasn't uncommon for kiddos Mm -hmm. to go into orphanages and group homes quite frequently that's traumatic so i mean if you've got you know uh, somebody who was in and out of group homes unwanted or abandoned for whatever type of reason whether there was intent or not by their parent who's now having unresolved trauma and anger raising a whole generation (laughs) like that stuff is so easily yeah and how would they know how to parent if they didn't weren't raised by parents and and i think a lot of times what we see is we we give people the benefit of the doubt and we say well your intention was good because well i never left i stayed and i Mm -hmm. took care of you right so i think a lot of times what I experience with my clients, I'm sure you guys experience this too, is like, well, my parents' intentions were pure. Like they did the best mm, that they could mm-hmm. by me. So I'm dishonoring them by naming my mm-hmm. own trauma. Mm. I know Adam Young has a really good podcast on that of how it's okay to name our own trauma without dishonoring our parents. For sure. But, you know, whatever the outcome, it's still, again, I think the main point that we want to really nail home is it's important for us to name our trauma so that we can understand the impact it has on us even if we feel that we've overcome so much of it 
there can be some remnants still there that we're not even quite sure until we know what questions to ask to reveal those remnants that are still inside of us. Yeah. So I think like to maybe give some listeners direction, maybe you could create a trauma timeline if you don't like the word trauma. I know some of my own clients are triggered by the word trauma. So if you want to create like a life Mm -hmm. event or a lost timeline, you know, for and and if you have safe enough parents or caregiver to ask, mm. do so. Like it's really helpful. And again, like this is not a therapy session what you're experiencing. <laughs> so definitely find your own therapist. If like things start coming to mind when you're talking to people and stuff is rising up, like we definitely urge you to go talk to someone because it's just super super helpful. So maybe creating some type of timeline or, or a questionnaire or questions you have yeah. that are missing. Um, it's really, really helpful. Um, it's true. And many times when we do a good family history, it's just amazing how many people don't know anything. And that's because, and we're on like, okay, there was something there. there <laughs> your parents did experience losses. We just don't know what they were. Mm-hmm. And so to, to kind of start investigating that is sometimes feels very vulnerable. However, it's very helpful to your own understanding of who your parents were. So we'd love to hear if you have questions or thoughts, please direct message us on our socials. And we just want to encourage you, know your parents' trauma. Know their parents' trauma. Can't say it. (laughs) (laughs) Know thy parents' trauma. See, I'm trying to do it in a voice. You got it. You got it. Shakespearean. You did it. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in more information, visit our website at wellspringssolutions.com, which is linked in our show notes, along with any resources used in today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to DM us on social media and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Original music featured in this episode is by Christopher Burkholder.